It's fabulous to see you all. Good to be seen. I'm Kevin Bosler. I was a youth pastor here a while ago, and I turned it over to some rookie after that. Uh, born and raised. Uh, no, not born, just raised. Um, we're super thankful to be here. Uh, my family and I, we moved here this week, and uh, we'll be, I'll be the interim pastor until further notice. Uh, and uh, we're super excited to be back with you all. Uh, some of you we know well, and others of you uh, we're going to know well. And uh, we're excited to, to be here. I'm thankful and grateful to the elders for giving me the opportunity uh, to, to be the interim pastor. And I just trust that uh, the Bozers, we, we seek to be a blessing to this church. It's been such a huge blessing to us uh, over the last 16 years. It's a long time. So uh, uh, we're super thankful to be here. I don't know how you think about your church. I know some of you uh, love this place and have been uh, here a long time. I know others of you are fairly new uh, and uh, you have gotten acquainted. Uh, But we are going to be doing a series uh, for the next four weeks on the power of the church. And I think sometimes when you think of the power of the church, you think, well, I don't see the church as all that powerful. I don't see the church as all that significant uh, in my life, uh, in the community, uh, in the way I picture our family. I just see it as fairly weak and insignificant. And I I really, um, I I think about that a lot in this last five years I've been church planning. And uh, you have to ask those questions of what why is the local church important? I know there are plenty of Christians in the world today who uh, theologically they would say to you that uh, they are a part of the church. They are a part of the church worldwide. By their salvation, God has brought them into his body. And yet uh, the local church, they don't want to have anything to do with uh, or they're just not that important to them because they realize the weakness of the church And I want to share with you these next four weeks really why you have to be a part of a local church. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, why you have to be connected to a local church. I shared this with the first service. Um, I I want to be honest with you, and I've shared this with some of you already. I really don't have a, I I don't care what church you're a part of. I I want you to be a part of a local church because uh, that's God's plan for you as God's people and so whether that's here or there or someplace else, uh, that's up to you and the Lord. And I want you to be where God has you to be, uh, not where anyone's twisted your arm or uh, cajoled you in any way uh, to get you in a particular place. Please open up your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. And our first message will be our, our powerful fellowship, our powerful fellowship from Hebrews chapter 10. Once you get there, uh, please stand in honor of God's word, and I will try to, uh, I will read for you as you follow along in your Bible, um, from Hebrews chapter 10. I'll be reading verses 19 through 25, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, uh, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain 
that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And God, we ask your blessing on our time. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and we ask that you would cause our hearts to be open, uh, to be changed changed by your word, to be uh, motivated by your spirit, to be uh, set a course of action even for this week. God, thank you for the opportunity of your word and to be a part of your church. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Verse 19 starts out and it says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence... And when you hear that word confidence, it could very easy, easily go into some Tony Robbins type seminar uh, on how to get confidence in your daily life. Confidence, uh, my boys play baseball and we, uh, we've been to a lot of games as parents and I've even coached a little bit. And I, I, I find it always interesting when I see a, a young boy heading up to home plate and you can tell by looking at them that they're going to strike out. That they have already put in their mind, I'm going to strike out. They've looked at the pitcher. They've uh, considered their own skills. And they get up there and, you know, the, the pitches start coming. And as the pitches go on, they, in their mind, yep, I'm going to strike out. Oh, there's one, uh, two, three, I'm out of here. I'm going to go. You know, they're already heading towards the, uh, the dugout before even the called strike three. And it's a sense of confidence. It's a sense of confidence. And the confidence comes because they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a sense of, I can get a hit here. I can hit the ball. I can hit this pitcher. I know what I'm doing. That's not what this passage is talking about. It's not talking about something so uh, frivolous as baseball. It's not talking about an occupation that you need to be confident in your job It's not talking about a particular uh, skill that you have, confidence in woodworking or in uh, mastery of a a certain uh, discipline. It's not talking about confidence of any of those things. It's talking about confidence before God. Confidence to enter the holy places. And this whole passage, really the whole book of Hebrews, is talking about Christ being the perfect sacrifice that he is the better sacrifice. The one of the Old Testament has been replaced by the perfect sacrifice of Christ. And he says, therefore, understanding that, he says, therefore, we have confidence. And you say, well, that's great. God's given us confidence through Jesus. It, It should stir us more than that. If you can picture the idea of you being an Old Testament priest entering to the Holy of Holies, entering into the presence of God, being able to walk face to face before a holy God. And and 
How do you feel about that? How do you feel about that right now, even as I'm sharing it? I feel, I, I kind of melting down. My knees start to buckle at the thought of me approaching God face to face. And there's a sense in which you say, would you be confident to do that? I say, oh yeah, no way, no way. There would be a sense of shame and awe and, and unworthiness. And I can't go there. I can't be that person. I, the idea of having confidence to enter the holy place, how can that be? And it explains how it can be, doesn't it? Look at your Bible. Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. The confidence does not come because you're good enough, right? I don't know if you've shared uh, about Christ with someone, but the the line of thinking always goes, you know, have you accepted Christ? Well, no, not really. And, you know, I, I yeah, sort of, maybe kind of. Uh, do you know you're going to... Uh, have to approach God someday. Well, yeah, you know, go to heaven. I think I can do that. Well, why do you think it, he would allow you in? And you say, well, because I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. You know, I know a lot of people that are filthy, dirty, and their sins and stuff. I know a lot of people. In fact, I work out at the prison, you know, and those people are bad. Those people are filthy. And you see, those people shouldn't be able to approach God, go to heaven. But I'm not that bad. Look at this. Look at this passage again, okay? It is not written, God did not inspire his word to say, therefore, brother, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by not being that bad. (laughs) By not being that bad. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say anything about you and what you've done. By the blood of Jesus. It's the only answer. It's the only answer for confidence. By the blood of Jesus. There's no other way that you should be confident before a holy God to enter into his presence by the blood of Jesus and that alone. I think sometimes we forget that as believers who've been uh, maybe trusting in Christ for a long time, we put that back. God's done a work in our heart. He's the sanctification process. You say, you know what? I don't sin like that anymore. So I'm pretty good. And so, you know, God, you know, he's probably got a front row for me somewhere. You know how, how many years I've, I've served in Sunday school or I've taught this, I've done that, I've served here. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all good now. And he says, no, the confidence comes from the blood of Jesus. I love that. You know, in the Old Testament, they did not have confidence. Even the priest who was brought before into the Holy of Holies. You know, they talk about how at different times they'd put bells on them because they were fearful that they'd just drop dead in the presence of God. They also talked about uh, tying a rope around the, a leg in case they dropped dead in there that they could pull the body out. No one wanted to go in and get it because they were fearful because they knew that no one was worthy. And now because of the blood of Jesus, there's confidence a striking truth. And it's really the basis. These, these first points in this passage are really talking about the foundation or the starting point for your life to think through your confidence. You know, sometimes we try to get confidence in one area of our life. And the reality is the problem we're having is not because we're not skilled in our job or our marriage isn't what it needs to be, of being a good parent, of being a good person in the community. Those aren't the problems. The problem is a starting point that we don't have confidence before our Creator. 
because we're not right with him. And it follows that everything else in life kind of falls apart, even if we're really good at it. The starting point of life. The author goes on uh, in verse 20 to say, to describe this further. He says, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And the picture here, once again, bringing before God, there was a, a separation curtain. You remember in the crucifixion and really uh, going walking through that the curtain was torn mysteriously. Why? Because there was no longer a separation between God and man. It was taken care of. How was it taken care of? Through the body of Christ. That now there's not just a confidence, there's open access. Open access. Who should go before God? Those who have trusted in Jesus. Isn't that amazing? To have open access? I had that feeling again. Some of you who live in town know about this feeling. It's been chaotic at our house and we've uh, had a lot of details to do the last few days and hadn't really gotten that whole gate pass thing taken care of. And, you, you know, you, you come up to the gate and you're like, oh, do I have the right ticket? Do you, is my pass still good? And there's that fear that I'm going to be left out. <laughs> there's a gate I have to pass through. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, open access to God. There, there's, there's nothing you can do that you have open access to him because it's already been done in Christ. It's amazing. He parallels this between the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system. It's hard for us to get this through our head. He says that there's a new and living way. And... The Old Testament, can you picture a day that they would sacrifice where all of us, all, all, all of Bear Valley Church would come and sacrifice? What if we did it right here? One lamb per family. It'd be a slaughterhouse and we'd bring the lamb and we'd, we'd kill the lamb and the blood would be spilled everywhere. It would not be a pretty picture. It would not be a pretty picture if we just did one. But can you imagine bringing dozens through here? Dozens. And just killing them. And the picture of that in our mind. It's interesting that uh, he says a new and living way. When he's referring to uh, a sacrifice. Because what's interesting about sacrifices. Is once they're dead, they're dead. Right? They don't get, put them in the freezer. And we'll catch you next year when we have to do this. Right? Had to get another one. And the difference is that Jesus is a different sacrifice. This open access is through Jesus, the new and living way that he opened through, for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. Not only that, but in verse 21, it says this, And since we have a great priest over the house of God. You see, we have confidence, we have access, and we have continued access. That now, in this relationship we have between us and holy God, we have his son Jesus standing in between, making sure that the access remains open forever, forever. You see, this is the starting point and foundation of us to live in the church. Saved by the blood of Jesus, made right, gained confidence, have open access to the Father 
and that access remains through the priest that we have that stands in between. So how should we live? Verse 22, we really look at the ingredients for today. The ingredients for today. If you look down at verse 22, it says, let us. And that that really should perk us. This is, oh, this is something we're supposed to do. The first uh, three points I brought up, those were just things we're supposed to think, right? Now it's some things we're supposed to do. Put it on your list of things to do. Uh, put it on, so this is something that I have to do. Sometimes it's hard to just think right, right? You know, you're like, uh, was well, there something I can do, something physical that I can be about? I, I Sometimes I get confused on what I'm supposed to think, but what am I supposed to do? Think this and then do this, okay? This is what he's getting to. Let us, let us. And I, it says us, right? Um, I, is the church personal or is it corporate? Is it together or is it individual? Yes. Yes, right? It's a team effort, right? I, I, baseball is a favorite sport of our family. And it, it's, it's hard because baseball is a spotlight sport. When the ball's hit to the center fielder, sets up to catch it and he misses it. Does anyone not know who made the mistake? Everybody knows, right? Batter gets up to uh, bat, hits a home run. Does anybody wonder who threw that pitch? The pitcher did. And when you met, there's a sense in which everybody knows when the team falls apart and any one person really can lose the game for them. I want you to get this picture in your mind that you have an important part and role to the strength of the church. And yet it's not about you. It's about us. It's about, it's about us coming together to be the church. And it's local, right? You know, you know it's interesting. Uh, the, my spiritual gifts and my encouragement and my life doesn't really matter a whole lot to people who live in North Carolina. You know, I don't touch them on a weekly basis. There's not a sense in which that we can challenge each other and confront each other and love each other. We're just not connected. For us here today, it is about the local church. Well, what is the first thing that we are to do? Let us draw near. Let us draw near. Words draw near brings a picture of worship again. Of sacrifice, of, of coming near to God in worship, of drawing near to Him and, and seeking His face. Once again, I, I go back to our own sins. Doesn't that seem unusual for us to draw near? Us to draw near? For those of you who are parents, if you're kids too, you probably know this too. There's not a real sense of closeness uh, to your kids to you when they've done something wrong. They kind of steer clear of you. They uh, want to c- clean the garage immediately. And they're like, boy, I got a lot of things to do outside. And uh, they said, boy, you know, got a lot of homework tonight. You can't bo- be bothered right now. Why is that? Because they're fear- they, they don't like looking you in the eyes, right? There's a sense of like, yeah, good to see you. Yeah. You know, uh, they, they don't, why is that? Because there's something in between. And yet, once again, he says, draw near. Draw near to a holy God? Yeah, draw near. How can we draw near? 
Look at what it says. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Once again, how do we get there? Jesus did it. Jesus made us right. Don't ever come before God in your own self-righteousness. Actually, find it first, okay? If you can be, so, if you can be right before God, I would like to see, you know, I'd like you to show that to anybody, you know. Can't do it. But as you come before God and realize your need for Him, draw near to Him. Don't draw away. Draw near to Him. That's the first thing we're supposed to do. That's the first thing on our checklist of things we're supposed to do, ingredients for today. Draw near. Second thing in verse 23 says this. He said, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast. Do you get that picture? Let us cling to. Let's put the death grip around the confession of our faith. Let us cling to Christ and him alone. I think about that often because uh, I'm an old youth pastor. Some of you have heard that before. And when I, I used to, um, youth ministry is kind of interesting because you're shooting for something in the distance. You know, you, I used to, this is kind of a weird thought, but I used to look at the junior hires and go, what are they going to be like when they get married? What are they going to be like when they're parents of their own? Are they going to make good choices in a spouse? Are they going to be set up for raising a godly family? How, how are we going to get there? And how are we going to start in junior high so that out there, what are they going to be like in college? What are they going to be like when they go to BC or Antelope Valley or uh, go to some of the great institutions like Berkeley and places like that? How are they going to do? How are they going to do? What's going to happen? And what do we need to do now? It's an interesting thought because you kind of have to sort through and, you know, look at the goal and work backwards, right? I think of clinging to Christ as being essential to have the right answer. You, you know, uh, many, most of us have been to school and we had those multiple guess things, you know, those multiple guess uh, tests, A, B, or C. And and we go through and we get to number four or whatever, and it's kind of a tough question. And you go, you know what, I'm pretty sure it's B. But then you reread and you go, you know what, it could be C too. It could be C. Uh, I think it's B. I'm pretty sure it's B, but it could be C. You know, I haven't had a C in a while. <laughs> Maybe they're trying to trick me. I bet you it is a C now that I'm thinking about it. And you, and you're, you know, you... You have B already, and then you take your number two, you pull that eraser out, and you get there, and you say, I'm going to do C. And then you look, A's looking pretty good too. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sticking with C, but I think B's the right answer. And you get that test back, and you go, it was B. And I had the right answer. I had the right answer, yet I exchanged it for the wrong answer. You know, that's the simplicity of what needs to happen in our hearts is that we need to cling to that confession of our faith, cling to Christ. To get the answer of the gospel, 
I close our book, put our pencil on top, and say, I'm done. I'm done. I've made, I've made my choice. Is that your final answer? Yes, it's my final answer. Are you sure? Yes, I am sure. But what about this? I'm still sticking with B, okay? I'm still sticking with the right answer. He says, cling to Christ. You know, it's hard because uh, the longer you, you know, I was raised in the church. I was raised in the church. I heard the story of Christ from a small boy. It's part of a youth group. You know, I, I sang songs junior high and high school and went to camps. And there's a sense in which it seems boring to have the same answer. It's, it has the same answer. It seems like, hey, maybe I should try something new. I've been doing this for a while now. I've had the same answer. It's just not very, you know, to say B the whole time. It just seems kind of boring. B for boring. But there's an important part. Look at look in your Bibles. What does it say? Why should we cling to our confession of our faith? Why? Because he's faithful. He's faithful. What if God retired from being God? What if God said, you know, I, I've made these promises to you. I've shared with you the good news of my gospel. But I've been doing this for a long time. I'm just going to change. I'm going to leave you to yourself. The gospel doesn't work anymore. That's not, that's not our God. Our God is an eternal God and he will not change. And so our answer shouldn't change either. It may take you a long time to come to the right answer, but once you get it, cling to it. Death grip. I will die with this answer. And really, I'll live with this answer as well in eternity. Cling to Christ. Draw near to God, cling to Christ. And then thirdly, focus on others. Focus on others. It does not have you in here. And I think it's interesting. It talks about really the first section I've gone through is really fellowship with God, right? It's us having a relationship with God. And you know what? Our relationship with God gives a basis for our relationship and really a motive for our relationship with one another. Look at it. Look at what it says. Focus on others. Um, Look at verse 24. Verse 24. And let us consider how we should stir one another to love and good works. You know what? The point of your faith is not that you would do what's right. It's not that you would receive the benefit. It's that others would be blessed by you and his church. This first uh, part of focusing on others, it says, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another. The idea of stirring up in other translations, it says spur. It says spur. It's good. It's it's a good word, except for the fact I'm in an equestrian community. And when you think of spurs, you're thinking, yeah, those pokey things that uh, you jab in the ribs of a horse. And so you're going, I'd love to do that at church. I'm going to come with my pokey things and get on people, you know, get moving. So you say, you know, it's our culture is a lot different now. I'm bringing a taser, you know, uh, uh, I said, serve, you know, uh, the idea of stirring up is the idea of agitation, agitation. I fear saying that word, 
Some of you are, are, were going, agitation? I love doing that. I'm a little sibling, you know, uh, little brother or sister. Agitation, that's what I do best. And, and some of us think that that's kind of our, our, what God has created us for. That we have the spiritual gift of agitation. That we're to stir the pot. In fact, it's interesting. I, the last five years we've been up in the Bay Area. And they've had some uh, riots in Oakland. And they're not planning on stopping anytime soon. Oakland's, they've got some hurdles and some challenges for the future. But things would happen. Uh, you know, different cases would come forward. Different things that people would come and, and they would uh, protest against. And you know what, what happened? They found out that there are different groups that pay people, pay their workers or whatever, to go in and and really get in this mob of people protesting. They come in wearing masks. They get in the middle. They take off their masks. And then they start, yeah! And they get them all wound up. They start vandalizing, throwing rocks through windows and, and burning things. And then once it gets really wound up, they put their masks back on and they bail out and they go out the side door and everyone else gets in trouble. The whole place goes on fire and the police have to deal with it. You know what? That happens in the church. Sorry to say. People say, you know what? You know, I I have the gift of agitation. I have the gift of agitation that I come in and I stir things up and I don't care where it goes. There's a very important connection here to this agitation. If you are doing this right, there is something that will happen. What is it? What is it? Look down at your Bibles. It's not on my forehead. We could write a lot of things on there, but... uh, Love, good works. Love and good works. You see, if I'm doing this right, and if I am agitating and stirring you up and spurring you on, if I'm doing this right in your life, I'm agitating you in just such a way that out of your life is pouring more love and more good works. That's a blessing, isn't it, when you have people like that in your life? That's a huge blessing when they come and, and they encourage you and spur you on in such a way that good stuff comes out of your life. You know what? Um, if you are creating sin in someone else's life, stop doing what you're doing. You're doing wrong. You're doing wrong. This agitation, this, this stirring up is meant to, for the benefit of somebody else and not just for their benefit, but really that it would go on out farther in love and good works. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool? Um, pretty obvious, but you can't do this just high-fiving in the hallway. You know, you can't just say, hey, good to see you. Boom, gone. You know, that, that's not enough to stir or spur. That's not enough. And he follows it up with what? He says, let us, let us stir or spur, but let us also meet. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. Can't do home church. Can't do home church. You can have a home church, but that's with other people there. It's not just you and your bedroom. I have a personal relationship. You just, you know, it's just me and God. Great. Well, bring you and God to your church and get involved because this is his model. It's to be involved. And, and the stirring and spurring is supposed to go beyond you, beyond you being connected with one another. 
is a beautiful thing of the church as we meet together. There should be a sense of change that happens as we meet week after week, sometimes dramatic, just sometimes subtle. But the idea is that we would focus on others. It is so important for us to get out of the mindset of coming to church and saying, eh, I didn't get much out of that. I didn't get much out of that. Yeah, it was just okay. Did you talk to anybody? Did you spur anybody on? We're going to get to the other word here in a minute. But did you do any of that other word that we're going to get to in a minute? Were you a part of the body? You know, it's too easy to bolt out the back door. Say, those people are too, you know, they're kind of hard to deal with. Yeah, so are you. So are you. But by the grace of God, but by the grace of God, he gives us access He gives us a relationship. He gives us confidence and and an ongoing such that we can be the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Staggering that he would allow us to have have a part of what he is doing. Well, the third thing, let us stir or spur, let us meet, let us encourage, let us encourage. Last part of verse 25 says this, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Uh, You know, uh, I think that as believers in Christ, as people attempting to be his church, I just hear a lot of people say, you know, I'm, I'm just having a bad day. Just having a bad day. Depressed, discouraged, want to quit want to quit that's why that's why god's people need to be the best encouragers around you know there's a difficulty with encouraging sometimes um uh for instance if if i'm going to high school which would be funny in and of itself if i was going to high school i was struggling in my math class i was taking geometry some of you take geometry a little before that. But I was taking geometry junior year of high school, and I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And someone says, well, how are you doing in geometry? You say, well, I'm sure discouraged about my geometry class. And they come to you, they come to me, and they say, you can make it. You can do it. You can, you, you, I'm on your team. I'm praying for you. And I fail the class. You know, there's a reality that I may not, I may not be able to do it. There are things in life. Sometimes we encourage people off the cliff, don't we? Or, you know, you're saying, I, I really don't, I don't know if I can fly. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Just do it. No, you can't. The courage here is not that you can do something that God never intended you to do. The encouragement here is back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're forgiven. You're washed clean. You have open access to the God of the universe that, that he remains your priest to stand in between you, Christ in between the Father and you. That's encouragement. That's good. This is eternal. The one you have is faithful. This is good stuff. Life may be terrible, but the stuff that matters, the foundation, the starting point is all good. And that's the encouragement that we can hand each other. One last point. It's a sub point. It's a little point, but it's a big point. What does it say in there? Encourage each other when? One another. More and more. Because the day's approaching. 
because the day is approaching. This day, it doesn't define it a whole lot, but it is the day that the Lord will come and He'll set things straight. He'll take His church out of this world. He'll bring Him for... It is the day when all days are over. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the final bell. It's the final bell. And because there's a final bell, a, a final tick on the clock, He says, do this, encourage each other more and more. Why? Well, it's real simple. You know, in football, there's four quarters, right? And the coach will always talk about fourth quarter is the most important quarter. You can't give up. Why? Because in the fourth quarter, you've been playing three quarters already and you're tired. You know, there's cuts and bruises. You're sweaty. You've been pounded and pounded. And there's a sense of saying, you know, maybe it's time to go get pizza. Maybe it's time to quit. And you're in that fourth quarter and you're saying, I want to quit. He says, but... If you quit now, you'll lose the game. It's more important. The day's coming. The last second's there. Uh, I love football, you know, not a whole lot, but they have this cool thing called a two-minute warning. It's at the end, right? And everyone kind of takes a last breather, two minutes. It's all there's left in the game. It's all there have. And so there's two minutes to go. You've got to finish the game. And that's, and that's what we need to remember. <laughs> There's a day coming, and you say, well, when is it going to come? I'll tell you the exact, no, <laughs> I'll tell you the exact, I don't know. All I know this is that, you know, five years ago when I left, we're five years closer today. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? When's the Lord going to return? I don't know. I don't know. I know He is. Their day's coming. It's closer. I had an interesting picture um, this last uh, January, February, or whatever. I, I got to uh, share with uh, junior hires, middle schoolers at um, wherever we were from Bear Valley Church. And it was overwhelming to me to see these kids because, because I see my son, uh, my son Caleb, I see him there. And then I start seeing some of these other kids of parents, some of you, and I'm going, they're all in junior high now. This is crazy. And I remember that we used to meet, some of us used to meet at Denny's uh, in town 10 years ago. I don't know. And we used to meet, and boy, there were some great theological discussions in the corner booth in Denny's in the morning. <laughs> and we'd sit around and go, man, I got all these kids in our house. They're about this big, you know. And what do we do? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. You know, and we don't know what we're doing. And, I, and I, I thought about that and we tried to encourage each other and trust God and even share a little bit of what we thought each other should do and really try to encourage each other. And I thought, boy, we needed that then. And then I look out and I go, we need it now. We need it now. It was significant back then, but now our kids are in junior high, middle school. We need it now. We need the Lord now. And I think about how things go on and as time progresses, there's an ever-increasing need for us to encourage one another. Why? Because as time goes on, it's easy to quit. It's easy to quit and say, I'm done. I'm retired. I give up. But when you're in the fourth quarter, when you're at the two-minute warning, it's not time to quit. It's time to finish. It's time to finish. These are the things that we should be doing as a church. Let me pray that God would remind us of these things in our week to come. God, thank you for your church. Thank you for the beauty of your design of the local church. And Lord, we ask that you would uh, encourage us 
and uh, motivate us to do this. God, if we have been self-focused or forgetting the gospel and neglecting you, God, draw us back to what we should be. God, thank you for your word. It's, it, it's a joy to know the right answer. God, help us to understand you better and through your Holy Spirit, be given the strength to obey. God, thank you and may you bless Bear Valley Church. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.